0: Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance. Your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene. The voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. You're listening to Spoken Word. We have author Bob Blunt, author of The Year My Hair Fell Out a book which depicts experiences of an Australian travelling to South Korea in the 2000s, soon after the Gulf War, when American military bases were operating in the town that he works at in the local English teaching school.
1: We're on our way to North Korea, and at the border, we're suddenly at the beck and call of a different way of thinking. Give me phone now and no photos, no photos of our great people, shouts one of the patrol guards. We are now entering the DMZ, the 38th parallel, which was drawn up early 1950s to divide the Korean peninsula. I must say I feel quite overwhelmed, even intimidated. The officer looks at he's in his mid-twenties and yells like a Nazi. He makes a command through his loudspeaker. You must do what we and our great leader say. Grabbing Linda's hand tightly, I ask how a place could ever come to this. Are you naive or something? Think of Ireland and its borders. I mean, it's no big deal, Don. Most of all, just be a good ambassador and don't judge. This isn't middle-class suburbia, silly. They're only protecting what they consider theirs. But middle-class suburbia doesn't talk to people just like that. Plus, they are so skinny. Take a look at his shoulders. You couldn't compare him to, say, Hooch or Frank. Our GI soldier mates in Chuncheon now, could you? They'd have him for breakfast. You'll be in a gulag soon, Don Luritas, if you don't shut the fuck up. You need to be patient. Linda, you are the coolest. Thanks for giving me this chance. I really appreciate it, I say as I kiss her softly on the cheek. The morning bus ride has been a slow amble from Seoul. We are part of a 30-person group tour, mostly made up of South Koreans, but including an Australian mother and her daughter and some Japanese students who are studying Korean in Seoul. We've been divided into two vans with one tour guide to each bus. Word has it that the company has been successfully operating tours since the late 90s. Where are you two from, I asked the mother and daughter. We're from Maitland, mate. Good to meet you both. ''I'm Sandra, and this is my daughter, Emma. Don, and this is Linda. By the way, she's a Kiwi, but we won't begrudge her that. Anyway, we're the only white fellas here,'' replies Emma. ''Passport, show me ID card now,'' shouts the same stern young officer. ''Shit, he has some gumption, doesn't he? Not even a please. If my son spoke to me like that, I would give him a good whack over the head,'' remarks Sandra. We all show our passports and are then asked to leave our cell phones at a designated area at the checkpoint. Also, no photos of people, absolutely none, okay? If you do, you will be in trouble straight away. Our guards will hold a red flag up in the air and you will be punished. Do you hear me? Says another guard looking straight into my eyes. Yes, yes, I do, I nervously reply. Entering the DMZ, the bus passes through land which is occupied by soldiers and wildlife. It's beautiful here, I remark. You'd never think that this was all fortified, would you? We've got Aboriginal land like this in the Pinta region. You need to get out more, offers Sandra. Did you know that some birds from here migrate all the way to New Zealand in the winter months and come back here for summer, says Linda? Why do they do that, I ask? Because potentially it's one of the quietest zones on the planet for bird life, plus it's one of the most natural. Sounds weird, I know, but it's true, she adds. Makes sense, though, doesn't it? I can see why, replies Sandra. A bit like Raymond Terrace, isn't it, it, Mum, without the undesirables? Yes, Mum, a bit like that. Who is Raymond Terrace? Asks Linda. We three Australians all have a laugh at her expense before I quietly explain that it's a town in New South Wales. Sandra is based in Pusan in the South, doing some research on the division between the careers, and Emma is fresh out of high school, spending time with her mum until she works out what she wants to do. The tour guide stands and addresses the group. A graduate of Pyongyang University, he's in his mid to late 20s and he's relatively softly spoken compared to the guards. Welcome, my friends from Seoul and other countries. We are happy to have you here. Now we are travelling through the DMZ before we get to our destination. Please ask me if you have any questions and I will try my best to answer what I can. Notice how he says, what I can? I bet he's being monitored for sure, suggests Sandra. Whatever. We cannot assume. Plus, we have to remember we are visitors to their country, replies Linda.
0: A quick word about the live poetry gigs in Melbourne. The Dan O'Connell Hotel in Carlton has poetry on every Saturday afternoon and Passionate Tongues is at the Brunswick Hotel every second Monday night.
1: Westward happens out at the Dancing Dog Cafe in Footscray twice a month on Sunday afternoons. Voices in the Attic is run fortnightly on Tuesday evenings at 30 Dirk Level 1 and 2. 239 Lonsdale Street. The House of Bricks, on or near the last day of every month, run by our very own Santo Capsati, that's me, corner of Bud and Keel Streets, Collingwood. Melbourne Poets Union is usually on the last Wednesday of the month at the Wheeler Centre.
0: All of these gigs have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work, or you can just go to listen. Check out the website, melbournespokenword.com, to find out more about the scene. You're listening to Spoken Word. We have author Bob Blunt, author of the year. My hair fell out.
1: There were some interesting things going on with the Gulf War, and also, you know, with the division between North and South, and what we hear, and you yeah. know, and um, also, it wasn't long—about um, a year before—the um, uh, two schoolgirls had been kind of uh, mowed down by um, some US tanks in Seoul at a base, near a base, and that was like Mm. huge news because there was a bit of an anti sort of US sentiment there for a while, obviously because of that. So it's sort of interesting seeing that now there's much less bases there. These days, you know, in 2015 compared to, say, 12 years ago. So it's an interesting chapter, I suppose, or snapshot of Korean history, I suppose, in terms of relations between West and the locals, I guess.
0: Plus depicting the experiences of a a A,
1: greenhorn English teacher. An incredibly greenhorn, naive idiot. You know, I grew up in very comfortable Western suburbs, you know, Sydney. You know, not really knowing a lot and quite naive. I mean... That's the great thing
0: that you... Lay the character so vulnerable and bare, you know, for all their frailties, that's what creates the interest in the action of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: This person who sort of explores something different and, and decides yeah. to, and at the same time pays for it. Yeah, has
0: a sense of himself, but whenever you travel to a foreign culture, that's yeah, you know going to be challenged. But it must have been a wrong My head is <laughs> in a bad place. <laughs>
1: This morning peak hour and, and I'm in the front seat of a big shiny black van that's banked up on, the, on a traffic island on the periphery of town. We're on our way from the airport and to my left is the driver who for some unknown reason reckons it's time for a nap. He's blissfully snoring this sweaty, smoke, stink of a man in his mid-40s while I'm wondering what the fuck I've gotten myself into, an Australian in his mid-30s here to teach English, jet-lagged, half-asleep and terrified preparing for an entirely different existence. Outside, the cold Korean winter air has quickly frozen the window panes of the car and there are traces of grey, washy sleet on the road with sheets of white snow on the surrounding mountains. The skies a sharp blue colour and apart from the countless streams of cars passing by and the endless rows of large apartment buildings from here to Africa, there is little to capture the imagination. Seoul is yet another monster Asian city that heaves an almost sleepless metropolis well over the 10 million mark, far more populated than my hometown Sydney, which I've just left, maybe for good. We're heading to some place called Chuncheon, which on a good day is a three to four hour drive from Incheon International Airport. The The internet has told me that it's a fairly laid back place, a resort town that feeds part of the Han River. Half awake, I rub my eyes and try to get my head around the new surroundings. I prod the driver, his eyes squinting half-sunken in what can only be comically described as a pie face shape of a head. He snores happily, wearing clothes that reek of a chain-smoker, the nicotine emanating from his paws. From the stench, I'm assuming he hasn't had a shower for a bit, whilst his ruddy red nose and face reflects the product of some kind of strong liquor, maybe soju, which I've been reading about on the plane. Stirring him again, it is little surprise that the burly man is almost fuming, as he'd only just non-verbally informed me that we must sleep. Still, I can't stop scratching my head, thinking what, how, and why the fuck would anyone even think that now is the right time for a nap, here in the middle of a busy Seoul Expressway.
0: You're listening to Spoken Word. We have author Bob Blunt, author of The Year My Hair Fell Out. And he arrives in this town and the job... Doesn't end up paying him for many many months, so he yeah well, he has to make his own way. And, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, he does. He does. He he sort of like you know leaves he leaves everything that's sort of familiar to him and goes to a totally unfamiliar place and sort of transports his life over. To um, South Korea He knows next to nothing about South Korea And I guess, yeah And then he gets there And he realises that um, The actual company's gone belly up And um, yeah They're not actually paying their employees And um, and they sort of started with the locals And then it went through to the Japanese staff And then the foreign staff So yeah So the foreign staff hadn't been paid For two or three months And and when Don Don gets there You know, he's sort of like You know, this news is really quite um, I guess quite hard on him, I suppose like it would be, <laughs> he's wondering. So yeah, he does work for the company, and um
0: it's interesting for many people also considering travel. And a lot of people do this experience; they get some sort of education, and then they top it up with a, a teaching English certificate and mm. and a move overseas. And so this book's a great read also for anyone who's interested in what that could be like, and you know, this type of situations that you face, and and also. Depicting South Korea in that period in the in the two thousands, there is a, a big American military base in that town, and the yeah. book the book blends a lot of characters between the the westerners who are teachers and also the the soldiers in the town, and then your interactions with the local cultures and the expectations that the local culture has upon you.
1: Mm, mm, yeah, it was an interesting time. It's particularly around about that whole time when um you know nine eleven 11 post nine eleven and the whole um stuff that was going on with um. In America, and you know, with with Afghanistan, and then Iraq, and then um, I think the Bush government went in and um, decided to. Bomb the crap out of Iraq, come um, you know, unannounced, almost or sort of uninvited, <laughs> at least. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, that was an interesting time because, it, though, of course, of those um, American war bases that were um, you know set up in around South Korea to protect the South from the North, um, there was a lot of um interesting sort of tension and um you know between you know teachers and um, military and locals at that particular time. Well, just in terms of the world environment, I suppose. Yeah. You know. This happens um, just in, um, in, in the office um, as I'm walking out of the classroom and I've, um, I'm seeing all the local teachers hanging around the, the, um, the television just as um, news has come out that the US have, have bombed Iraq. The two new teachers, Zach and Ch- Jason, They've got their eyes glued to a big 1970s colour TV in the school's waiting room. "'What's happening? Is everything okay? I ask. "'G'day, mate. My buddy Jason and I are here watching the CNN report. "'Take a seat, man,' Zach replies. "'Well, guys, it looks like America has got those people. "'It's our revenge for 9-11, and it's about time,' says Jason. "'Way to go, Uncle Sam, way to go,' echoes Zach. "'On the TV are flashes of a bombed Baghdad.' Sure, what happened to New York nearly two years ago wasn't good form, but it seems now that the US have broken UN protocol and are doing what Bush promised he would, smoking out weapons of mass destruction in an attempt to remove Saddam Hussein. Beside me, the two Kyopos are almost partying with their arms around each other, singing chants of America, God bless America, whilst other students flock to the television to watch the news. Both my um, fellow employer, Yuri, from Japan, and I find the noise way too hard to bear, so we leave the waiting room and return to our classrooms, gobsmacked by their passion. Noticing our lack of interest and disgust, Zach walks into my room, looking almost worried. What's up, man? Aren't you happy, man, that your America, I mean our USA, is going to make this place a better world? What do you mean, a better world? I reply. You think this kind of bombing of innocent citizens is going to make it a better place just because the same thing happened two years ago in New York? Is this the way the world should communicate? And what do you mean by our America? Man, you are so serious. I thought all you Australians were supposed to be laid back, man. Come on, it's important that the West shows their strength to the rest of the world, particularly those Muslims. Otherwise, without them, we'd still be living in the Dark Ages under dictators like Il-sung and Mao. So showing your might means basically bombing the shit out of a place without permission and without any real proof? I don't get it, Zach, and plus this has nothing to do with being laid back. Sure, a lot of war and bombings don't make any sense, but 9-11 has to be avenged. It just has to be, and we shouldn't question that. You have to understand, Ozzy, that what those Muslims did was wrong. Jason comes in and adds, My, adop- my adopted country bled so badly that day, And what's all this got to do with South Korea, I ask? This has got everything to do with us. I hope my president also thinks the same way as me. Jason then explains, The Yanks are our long-term friends and we can never forget what they did for us in the Korean War. They helped us to defend Seoul at a time when we had been forced so far south. If it wasn't for them, we'd be lucky to own any part of this land. The fucking commies would have had us and we'd be all like our northern neighbours now, living in darkness.
0: You're listening to Bob Blunt, author of the Year My Hair Fell Out, reading on spoken word on Community Radio 3CR. Another thing in the book, The Year My Hair Fell Out, that is evident is the excitement of the experience of travelling to a foreign country, in this case South Korea, and just the way that foreignness challenges us coming from, in this example, as a Westerner and Australian with our, perhaps, values about the way we look at social situations and cultural situations and, and also the mixing... With another vibrant culture and and where you find your fun, you know those two things came came out constantly as themes in the book, very interesting, like mixing with the locals and and the westerners as characters right for for yourself um during that period um what was some of the things that challenged you most in in South Korea
1: I think understanding South Koreans you know because I really had no knowledge about any South Koreans before I went there and um and what really really struck me was just the way the um you know their culture works in um certain ways, and also the fact that it was changing so much then you know from the days of like you know because there still is this element of Confucian tradition within S- South Korean culture, but at the same time that has also been. Um, kind of melded or meshed in with, um, you know, new modernity and you know, fast um, internet and all that sort of stuff. And you know, I mean, they really are the sort of one of the kind of powerful economies of the world, particularly in Asia. Um, and in two thousand and. Three, I think that was quite evident with, you know, a lot of the, um, particularly with the internet and technology, particularly with, you know, the car companies like Hyundai and Daewoo and they're really making their mark. And well,
0: one of the things I remember from reading your book is some of your students were wealthy business people and there's like one example of a, a businessman who was basically inviting you to go on a, on a bit of a naughty weekend ho- right. holiday, you know, to because that there was a social thing with, in this guy's case in particular of wanting to have a westerner on on his sort of shoulder as, as a a thing while he he went to these places yeah
1: i think so i think um well i think it's also like a kudos thing as well for a lot of i mean you know a lot of, for some of the locals you know it was to you know to to have a western friend to have someone to go out. You know, so often I'd, you know, be invited on, you know, for, for lunches and with people I didn't really even know that well. So um, how, did, how did that
0: feel for you? Because I, kind of... I imagine your point of view, you've got a sincere point of view where you're really interested in finding out about these people and their culture and, and you're coming from your experience and how does it overlap? Like, how did it feel?
1: It was quite strange. Um, sometimes it was a bit un- unnerving and sometimes, it's a, it, you know, it's also because you're... Um, spending time with them in the classroom and then suddenly they're asking you to come out with them and, you know, and have drinks with them or go to lunch with them or dinner with them. I mean, it's sort of like a, you know, it's a nice offer, but at the same time it's, um, yeah, I found it a bit, I think, you know, the, the character, let's say the character finds it quite sort of um, hard at first, but he does throw himself in, which is interesting, I think, in that way. Yeah. You know? that.
0: Throwing yourself in and, and meeting people and getting beyond that sense of us and them and, and yeah. becoming more more part of the, the country that you're now living in.
1: Well, yeah. that's right. I mean, and I've also I think one thing that struck me about South Korea in some ways was the collectiveness of the culture and in the way that they do sort of like, you know, hang out as a, as a group and that there's sort of, you know, there's always that sort of, um, you know, um, embracing the other element, which is quite interesting. And I think that South Korea, you know, for, you know South Korea was really in the dark for a long, long time. Yeah. Um. So I, it was quite an interesting transitional period. I probably was even happening ten, twenty years before with other foreigners, but you know, just in terms of its change and um, you know, development and um, you know, and locals wanting to get to know like westerners and you know, and and you know, offering their hand, I suppose. Yeah. So it was
0: a very generous
1: culture as well. Yeah. 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 Pretty generous and pretty um. You know, just really kind of kind of enthusiastic and well,
0: would you like to give us an example from the book of one of the interactions perhaps with some locals that you know as you're getting to know them?
1: Yep. Great. Yeah. Okay. Out with work colleagues um after work at the end of the week. Um and the, um, the person in charge is a guy called Jason who um, is a Korean-American and um, he will um, take center stage tonight as being, being the oldest of the, of the, um, the group. Um, Jason will take center stage tonight seeing he is the oldest here aside from Daphne. He will order, initiate the toasting and control everything in Korean culture. The boss always gets privileges at the table and is always the master of ceremonies. We're expected to follow him and not even eat before him. Four bottles of the finest soju arrive and each member of the table stands for a toast. I stand excitedly and instead of waiting for the others, I fill my glass before Jason tells me to wait my turn. Having spent some time in the States, he can understand that I'm, I might know ha- how protocol works. So in a backhanded, joking kind of a way, he tells me not to offend him. Together we shout "kombe" or cheers and starting from him we go around the table and do our best each to down the soldier in one shot. But it doesn't stop there. Jason gestures to the waitresses to refill our glasses. I can hardly control my giddiness, taking to my chair like an amateur while Mona, my other colleague's face, turns a bright shade of pink. Too many barbecues are set up on the table and it is Zach and Jason, the two Korean-Americans, who cut the meat into bite-sized pieces using scissors, while an endless supply of green lettuce leaves and small bowls of garlic and bean paste are brought to our table. Kevin whispers to me to take some water to nullify the soju so that I won't feel too sick on an empty stomach. The small grills are then heated and the indoor barbecue begins. For an hour or so we feast on succulent succulent supplies of meat, which we cook and roll up into lettuce. For a meat lover, this is a real treat, a classy Korean restaurant with some locals who know what they're doing. The last course is a bean paste soup that is piping hot and served with barley rice on the side. Dessert then arrives in the shape of a plum drink, which is sweet and refreshing. When we finish up, we're more than ready for some heavy drinking by the university gate. OK, we're, we're at um, Helen's place, and Helen is the, the mother of, of Don's student, Arum. Um, and, she's, and Don, Don, Don's been invited to Arum's and Helen's place for dinner and it's his first real experience at a local, local's place for dinner. It's a bit different to the dinner with the colleagues, um, so this takes on a bit of a different sort of feeling, I guess. Okay. Um, the apartment is part of a new estate and although it's not completely finished, it has most mod cons as well as a spacious car park down below. Well, Don, we have a sports centre, so if you ever want to come and exercise, do let us know. As you can see, there's a lot of land around here. My husband is teaching me to play golf, and there is talk we will have a driving range here soon. It's pretty neat, isn't it, Don? Wait until you see our apartments, says Aram. The apartment complex is just half-occupied, mostly by new rich types who have come to Chuncheon from Seoul to make money from business. Aram's dad is in Seoul most of the time, while her mum has a successful hair salon business in the middle of Chuncheon. You have to work hard to be successful in Korea, Don. I have been lucky because my dreams often feature pigs, and in Korea that means you will be wealthy. It is like a good luck charm in our culture. That's interesting. Where I am from, we often think of pigs as a negative sign. Anyway, I must say that you have a lovely place here. The view really is amazing. Yes, it is, Teacher Don. Look outside. You can see the lake and the mountains. It's really beautiful here. My mum and I say we have the keys to the city. I can see what you mean, Aram. Okay, you two, it's time for dinner, says Helen. Please come inside and Aram, can you help me set the table while our guest Don relaxes with a drink? Yes, Don, I'd like you to try some of this this finest soju. This bottle here is top class, and my husband, because he's hardly ever here, I want you to try it with me tonight. How sweet of you, Helen, to offer me a drink from your country, but I probably should, shouldn't should have. I've got classes tomorrow. Helen looks almost disappointed with me. But your, your husband, he looks like a nice man. The photo of the three of you, he, he looks really u- lovely, I ask. Yes, it was taken last year when all the Korean families got together. We were in Seoul, weren't we, Aram? Yes, we were. We were at our grandparents' house. That's on the the photo on the top of the piano. They look great, I say. Yes, they are only in their late 50s after all, replies Helen. They're not too old and they look after their bodies very well. Old people in Korea don't end up in nursing homes, Don. What about your parents? Don't you miss them? Sure I do. I reply feeling a little uncomfortable with, with this conversation. What's wrong, Don? asks Helen. I just have my dad now. He's in his 70s, but you wouldn't know it looking at him. 70? Wow, that is quite old in Korean culture. You look like a baby, Don. You can't be 50, surely. There's a weird tension in the room as Aaron helps her mother. I notice that Helen has placed a bottle of soju on the table. The first serving is kimbap, which is a bit like those California rolls back at home, and plus some miso soup. Like most home dinners, everything is fresh and typical of Korean cuisine, not to mention the abundance of side dishes and the obligatory kimchi. I take it you love kimchi, Mr Don, but it may be too spicy for you, asks Helen. I don't mind. In fact, I've had it before in Sydney. There's a suburb called Strathfield which has many Korean people, so you can always get kimchi there. I hear a lot of Koreans travel with it when they're abroad. Yes, we do travel with it, although I prefer not to. "'In Rome, do as the Romans do. "'That's right, isn't it, my new teacher?' "'Yes, I guess so, Helen,' I reply a little half-heartedly, "'hoping that tonight won't turn into a long English lesson. "'So do you know Strathfield?' "'Of course I do. "'I have some family friends in Eastwood. "'That's not far from there. "'The mood is altered again, so Helen offers me a glass of soju. "'It's much better with some food, Mr Don. "'You should drink it when you have nothing on your tummy.' Or is it your stomach in English? Sorry, I'm not sure. Please try some with me, she asks, brushing my heart, my arms suggestively in the process. OK, you win this time, but only a small amount, OK? Sure. I didn't say we would drink the whole bottle, she replies. You should have met my American friend Charlie. He could really drink, and he would often go out with my husband and me for dinner and chatting. That's lovely, Helen, but I don't see myself as a big soju drinker. Really, Mr Don, I don't believe you. I mean, you have a big stomach, and that means you can drink. I've heard about you, Australians, she replies.
0: Getting a bit steamy over the soju there. and Yeah, the- steamy
1: and, you know, sort of classic generalisations of, of cultures that, you know...